welcome to my hotel. Yes. What do you think? Yeah. What did you think of the breakfast? Did you enjoy well, it? I mean, it's a, a mini croissant and a coffee, and it was absolutely fine. So. Very French, wasn't it? You went very French with your breakfast. Well, yes, definitely. I did start off when I got here having eggs and things, and then I realised <laughs> that just embrace the croissant. <laughs> and. I appreciate you coming over this morning. Although when you said, you know, let's do it early, because, you know, I've been trying to do my running. I had to get up very early to get out there, to do my run, to get back here. So I think I'm still waking up a little bit. Yeah, and I, by contrast, did not run this morning instead. I mean, I ran yesterday, so that's fine. But I decided to, instead of getting up really early to run, I would just sleep and then come over and have a lovely breakfast with you. I mean, we've seen glimpses of each other. We have actually done a little bit of work together. We've done a little bit of work together. In terms of socialising, it's not happened. No, it hasn't happened at all. Um, I know you had dinner with a friend of ours. She did have a lovely dinner with Naomi last night. I was like, brilliant, excellent, as I was, <laughs> as I was working. Um, it's the night sessions, which are wonderful, and we'll get to them, and we'll talk about the atmosphere of a night session. It's a different atmosphere. It's a special atmosphere. But they are all-consuming, and, and we're working for different people so our brief is with Radio Roland Garros we of course we well we don't do every ball of every match that would be insane but we come on in the first match and we come off at the last match whereas with five live it, it you've got more flexibility yes uh we well we were Brit focused for a few yep. days so we were very 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 busy because all five Brits were on, on the same day which was unnecessary because four of them were in the, the halves that. that were unnecessary. playing. It was unnecessary, <laughs> and I felt like Amelie Moresmo did that despite us. But no, because four of them were in the halves that played on that day, so that was fine. Yeah. Across the men and the men and the women's draw, that made sense. But Dan Evans was in the other half, and then they just put on these rogue couple of matches on that day from the uh, the whole other half of the draw, and uh, and Dan was one of them. So we had um, yes, yeah, so we had five matches on that day of all Brits, and they were all sort of overlapping. It was difficult to keep track. We're also covering the night sessions as well um, but as we speak it is Saturday and we have no Brits left so ah, so you're no longer Brit focused we're no longer Brit you focused. have some Brits in the doubles we do have Brits in the doubles and we have of course the world number one Joe Salisbury playing with the American Rajiv Ram so high hopes for them even though in every, every interview he keeps saying Clay's not our favourite surface but we'll, we'll see um, but uh, yes so we, we're still going to do plenty of coverage but just of uh, some different players I haven't had a baguette yet. I just need to put that out there. That is very good. Do you know what? Neither have I. I don't have you had any, any Even a piece of a baguette. Have you no, had a piece of a baguette? I just avoided them. Yeah, I just, I just, it's a slippery slope. I just think if you start on day one with a baguette, it's yeah, over. So I've gone full slippery slope when it comes to croissants. So every day? Are you every day croissants? Yes, every day croissants. Wow, okay. So, because we walked past the boulangerie, and so you have to get something. Do, and no, instead do you? of the baguette. No, do you need to get something if you walk past the boulangerie? <laughs> that, that's a very important question. Fortunately, we only walked past one on the way in, because if there were multiple, <laughs> it, would be, it would be really difficult. I'd be turning up with just stashes and stashes of things. But uh, yes, no, I, I get, a, I get a, a croissant. It's not that bad. It's fine. You know what a croissant's made of? Well, largely. Well, majority of a croissant is butter. Yes, butter's great for you. Yes, it is. We had someone email in on Radio Roland Garros about a butter cake, and I somewhat stupidly said, "Cake butter." Well, well, I stupidly said, "Well, what's a butter cake?" And I, I looked it up, and it's just a cake. I know not all cakes have all butter and all this sort of ingredients in it. Most of the standard but cake most, does. But butter cake is just a lot of butter, a lot of sugar. A lot of eggs and flour. So it's just... It's, it's just a cake. La- that sounds like a large cake. It was just, it's just a cake. <laughs> yeah, it's just a cake. And everyone kept saying, have you had a butter cake? And I was like, I think I probably have. Because right, it, yeah. there's, lots of, there's lots of food discussions on Radio Roland Garros. We, Is it because all of your team are really hungry all the time <laughs> because they haven't eaten for hours? <laughs> we definitely... It's sort of weird food combinations. But let me put this out. This is very random. It links to the tennis, sort of. Yesterday, we were commentating on Carlos Alcaraz and, and Sebi Corda. Yes. And we'll get to that. We'll get to Alcaraz. But a question came in from one of our listeners. If Alcaraz was a nut, what nut would he be? Oh, wow. What nut would Carlos Alcaraz... I'll, I'll tell you in a minute the nut I think he is. He's a tough nut to crack, is what he is. <laughs> but an actual nut. An actual nut? Oh, yeah. I I've, I've never really thought about it. Well, I hadn't till last night, and, and Courtney Nguyen put the question to me. No, it wasn't her question. It came from a listener. 
Right, so, I don't know. So I, she, item. I, she went walnut. Yeah. I don't see a walnut. Chestnut. She, 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 I went Brazil nut because he's big and hard. Yeah, fair enough. Do you like that? Yeah, they are quite large, yeah. She didn't like that. But okay, I, fair enough. I thought Brazil nut was quite good. So it's very random. So that's the kind of things we get up to discussing. But Carlos Alcaraz, from the moment I arrived, has been, has been, he's been more than a thing. From sitting at his practice and... I just I didn't know he was practicing on that court. I'd just arrived on the court and I was actually watching Iga Shiontek against Amanda Anisimova. So that right there you've got my winner and my dark horse in our oh, predictions. Oh. And it, it, I loved it. I loved what I was thinking that's great. And so I was then just writing a few things and suddenly I heard screaming and cheering and people saying, I need to be here. And Alcaraz walked out and he was playing Hubert Hercatch in this practice and that the security was saying there's no more space there's no more space on court five you can't come here all these little boys a year ago they probably didn't know his name they are there going I need to watch him I need to watch him and most of them they're with their friends and their friends said who's he with who's he playing with and they'd go oh yeah no no, I don't know just someone someone he's hitting with I'm thinking that's the former Miami champion Hubert Hercatch so no one knew Hubie but Alcaraz, everyone. Well, the two latest Miami champions, aren't they? Because yes. Alcaraz took the took the title off him this year. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, to be expected, because the hype is, uh, I would say, out of control, but it's all entirely justified. It's real. That's <laughs> it's absolutely thing. real. It is um, it's extraordinary, wasn't it, watching him play last night. And I know that Seb Corder beat him in Monte Carlo, so everyone was saying, oh, you know, he's the last person to, to beat him and all this sort of stuff. But... You know, Alcaraz, he wasn't great in that match. He was just off the win in Miami. It was his first match on clay. He clearly hadn't prepared enough, was clearly a little bit tired. Um, and it was, uh, do you know what? Seb Corder, huge talent, big potential, yeah. probably on course for the top 10. Yeah. Played very, very well. Yes. Didn't win a set. No. Got broken in every set. Yeah. And he has a big serve. And that is just the difference. It's just the difference, really. Uh, I mean, because the quarter game is just, it's so beautiful. The, the strikes that he's got off of both sides, the serving. I mean, he knew that he had to play to the lines. He had to go big to the lines and he had to make it. And do you know what? He did about 70% of the time. It's just that he needed to do it 100% of the time. And it was just a, a little too much. But the extra element Alcaraz has, like the top players, particularly Nadal and Djokovic, is the defence because he just kept stealing points away from Korda. And every time Korda was in charge of the point, in the beginning of the match, I kept thinking, great, he's on top of the point, here we go, Korda. And then he lost so many points for being on top of the point that every time he sort of got up inside the court and was striking big, I was thinking, oh, no, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to lose the point. And then I was thinking, well, what other alternative does he have? Anyway, um, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And one break was enough. One break, so you get the the first break in the first set and... Alcaraz will go on to win that. And then the same thing happens in the second. And when the same thing happened in the third, I think Courtney described it as a balloon deflating. And that was Corda and that was the crowd because everyone then knew the outcome. Yeah, so we were talking about this a lot on air, actually, about you know what uh, these players, how these players approach um, approach these sorts of matches you know when you're playing Nadal we just saw Aliash Bedene get completely wiped by Djokovic earlier on and uh, and, and what you do and and uh, uh, my fellow commentator David Law was saying how you've just got to believe at this stage and this is when um, Bedene was down and he was in the third set and and I was saying no <laughs> there is no belief at this stage whatsoever you are hoping for like so many ifs if Djokovic decides to be terrible for the next set if this if that whatever I mean obviously you're going to keep trying um, but if you're six love four love down against Iga Siontek as a couple of players have found out re- recently or if you're getting you know duffed out by Bedene you know it, it is easy for people watching to say you know oh, they've let their head drop and they, what do you expect and I, and I said I said to um, it was David Law and also Ben Rothenberg we had on, on, on air with us and I was saying to both of them I was like do you believe that Bedney can win and they both said no and I was like oh exactly so then he doesn't either he's not an idiot you're looking at me like like it's a bit it's a bit strange but but I'm not, but you can still play. You can still focus on your own game, still knowing that you're not. But it win. almost feels like what's the point? Unless they're, they're unless they're then thinking, okay, I'm not going to win, so I will just 
work on other aspects and other things I want to take from it. I mean, I don't Surely you've got to have the belief. Because what's the point of going out there if you go out there not believing you could do it? Or are you saying it's halfway through the match if, if suddenly you, you find yourself down and you lose the belief? Are you saying that they go out there without the belief they can win? No, they go out there thinking if Djokovic is slightly off and if I play very well, then I can really compete here. Within three games, you know that it's not one of those days for Djokovic and that he's not slightly off and that's that. And you, you, you just you know that. And you don't give up and you keep fighting because there is the teeniest, tiniest chance. But I'm saying when you're two so sets therefore you and have a belief. Therefore you have belief if you That's go on and you belief. keep fighting that is belief not fighting belief. is fighting is having if you go on it so then you just give up if you haven't got no, the belief you don't give up. do you leave what what's no you don't give up because you're performing to, for the crowd you don't do a Musetti from last year <laughs> that was brilliant because he was against Djokovic but, but that is how every player feels every player wants to throw in the towel we don't have that in this sport you have to go to the end but he threw in the towel then and he said I didn't really want to put the crowd through that anymore that was brilliant um, <laughs> is there anything wrong with him no no. Just didn't think I could win. Just right. Very audacious I against tried. someone like Djokovic on Chatrier, isn't it? Yeah, but then that's where you've got a you know, huge credit to somebody like Alison Risk in her match against Fiontech. It was love and two in the end. She was getting absolutely destroyed. Yeah. Not only is she playing the world number one and best player out there by a country mile, it's also on clay, which is terrible for yeah. Risk. She would love to be playing that match on grass. It's also just tactically not a great matchup for her because of the game style. that Everything was working against her, basically. And... For, um, but for Riz, she just kept a positive attitude. She kept saying, come on. She, um, but so you're telling me she had no belief? She had no belief. That she, I, I do not believe that she thought she could win that match. At that stage, when she was six love and two love or whatever it was when she was down, but, there's but, no way she's thinking, how can I win this match? All she's thinking is, how can I get a game on the board? So that's belief. So there's different levels of belief. There's, there's believing you can win. There's believing I can get a game. There's well, believing that, I can play well. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying is that there is no... I, I, this may sound but there is no realistic belief that you can win but what you do is the things that you think you can achieve so playing your game well getting some games on the board holding serve whatever it might be like well of course you focus on that but so I remember when when I played Venus on centre court it was 2008 I love that you can just drop that in <laughs> I mean I have nothing that would ever compare to that when she was defending champion I absolutely believed that I could win and the, but the reason and when, when I walked on the court it, it took a good 24 hours to get to that headspace because when the draw comes out you think okay right and I remember my coach saying do you believe you can win and I said no and he was like <laughs> better start believing <laughs> otherwise it's going to be humiliating um, so I had, you have to mentally really get yourself into that headspace. And I did do very well. But the, the reason I believed is because I knew that grass was my best surface, that my game was really good on grass, that I'm a lefty, that I can jam her on that backhand side, which is you know, the, this, this, this teeny tiny like two-inch box across at the time because she was the best player in the world. She was defending champions. She won it that year. Spoiler, I didn't win. Um, <laughs> But there's this teeny tiny little box on one of her ribs. If you can serve into there, like two inches across, then you, you are looking quite good. Um, so I had quite a lot working for me. You know, Bedenay against Djokovic yesterday had everything working against him because... Well, he's just a, 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 a... This sounds awful, but a lot lesser version of who he was facing. <laughs> he does everything the same as Djokovic yes. and just nowhere near to, to that level. So you just can't win like that. It's like Sharapova coming up against the Williams sisters. They had her number because they do the same thing and they both just did it so much better than her and they loved playing against her because of it because they knew that anything she could do, they could do better. It's like a lot of people against Rafa Nadal. I always remember David Ferrer, who was such a fighter, Massive heart. He he said I'd play Nadal, and if I went a break up, I had the belief. But once he broke back and took the set, I lost all over five sets. He said I lost all belief because I knew at that point I could not beat him. Because he's not an idiot. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that you can't like you can you obviously need to be the positive side of of realistic. You need to tell yourself maybe. And I know that you know Nadal comes back from five love down, but that's not the point. It's not about the score. It's about the situation in the match, how well the opponent's playing. And if Nadal is playing well, then you're you're at the other end of the court going, I can't beat this guy because you know you're physically incapable of it. If you're Carlos Alcaraz, you're going to have confidence because you know you can produce the level that's good enough. So he's obviously going to be confident no matter what the score is, no matter how well Nadal 
Nadal is playing. Um, but it's interesting when you have those similar game styles because um, you know we, we think about the big wins over Nadal and it's a Lucas Rossol or it's a Nick Kyrgios yeah, yeah. and it's a just completely contrasting thing. But if you're the same sort of player, oh, it's so demoralising. But back to that, that story. So when I was playing against Venus, I lost the first set on a tie break, and uh, and then we and I remember sitting down at the end of that set. And I thought, she's going to up this now. She's won, she's won a tight set. It's her first match at Wimbledon. She's going to up the level. Well, I know she's going to. She's a champion here. She'd won, I think, the last two years in a row, possibly. And we've got to remember that the Williams sisters notoriously wouldn't play grass court tournaments. They'd practice on grass, but they wouldn't play grass court tournaments leading up. So for yeah. her coming out there, that's her first match on grass. Yes, and like when we're watching matches, we think the likelihood is now this this player's going to stretch and run away with it. Yeah. And they're gonna, you know, they, got, yeah. they got it together. They just won that, and then off they go. And, it, and we're all sort of, sort of surprised when the top players don't do that so I sat down and I thought she's going to up this I think I can live with that like I nearly had that set I should have won it I was 4-1 up and I she's going to up yeah one or two notches here and and I I can do it so I was actually feeling pretty confident because I was like I know what's going to happen I'm prepared for it and I know I can do it so I actually did feel confident Um, and then got out first game she upped it like six levels and I just went ah okay well I can't I mean can't play with that <laughs> I mean I can't live with that so you know there was you had no belief the belief went yeah but it just can't physically do it <laughs> but didn't physically but, but, live with yeah that. but mentally so you, you told yourself after that it's done no I didn't at all so you but still you believe that slightly de- no no but you have that deflating feeling I didn't tell myself that it was done because it was a case of if she maintains this level I can't win but it's, again, a big if because she didn't play like that in the first set. So I'd be thinking, well, if I can keep the score close, if I can try and encourage her level to drop, then, you know, I do have a bit more of a chance um, because you do never know. But sometimes you just do know. Sometimes, you know, you never know, but you do kind of know. Well, yeah. And I, I, I think it's fascinating that the science of psychology and, and if you're a coach and how you work with players and how if you're a player, how you feel yourself, if you're out there, in that situation how do you deal with it because it can be a big old lonely place out on court if you're being absolutely smashed from pillar to post good news for the can I call them the oldies in the men's draw is that they're getting through comfortably so you Djokovic however good you are at that age you want to be conserving energy because a grand slam to win it is still seven matches over the course of two weeks doesn't matter if you have a day off in between you don't want to be slogging it out there for four hours each round so Djokovic Nadal and I want to add in not an oldie Medvedev he's just going about his we're not talking about him because he had a hernia surgery he hadn't played on clay he played one match in Geneva didn't win it not a fan of clay really quietly easing through as we speak the first two rounds straight sets he has been going a little bit under the radar hasn't he and in that section in that half I should say not even section we were thinking okay Sitzpass is going to come through pretty comfortably and he's been through the ringer in his first two rounds he's probably spent the longest time on court of anyone and uh, has been right up against it and it's been Methodev that's just comfortably gone about his business and um, you know the Sitzpass game is a bit, bit up and down it's not it, it's just not where he needs it to why be why do you think why do you think that is why do you think he's been struggling as he has been I, I mean I don't really know what the reason is it could be that he's you know easily the favorite to come through to the final but it, it it's probably just that it it's just not quite settled for him he, it's a little bit tense I don't know like I don't know it's, it's been difficult the players that he's played against have played unbelievably well Zdenek 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 Kolar, who he played in the last round, the qualifier, he was fantastic. He played so, so well. Should have gone five, should have gone five. should have gone five. Oh. It was, um, you know, and even the second set that sits past lot, uh, one was only 10-8 in that breaker. Like, he was right, right there with him. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, physically you feel like this is not ideal if you're looking at winning the title. He is my pick. I'm still going to back him as my pick. But he Sticking needs some with easier matches. Yeah, he needs to, he used to just get it, get through things a bit quicker. I mean, the, the difficulty with recording a podcast at a Grand Slam is things get dated very quickly. So we'll try and not be too specific. Because otherwise people are listening. He lost to him like four days ago. But we are talking about the, the bottom half of the draw where we're expecting him to come through we're expecting him to go deep he's your favourite he's many I think what joint bookies favourites Djokovic and Alcaraz and I think Sitspas isn't too far behind that we've got Zverev who's been up and down but making his way through and then we have to speak about Joe Wilfred Songa Joe Wilfred Songa I mean what a send off 
I mean, you could not do it. It was perfect. It. You could, perfect. couldn't do it any better, no, could perfect. you? It was absolutely... Oh, it was so emotional. I was crying. Everyone was crying. There was no real need for me to cry, but I just, I just do with those sorts of things, to be honest. I don't know Joe personally, um, but yeah, it, it was the way a send-off should be. It was absolutely, it was absolutely perfect because he was playing Casper Rude. So I think going into it, everyone was like, well, this, you know. So they had, I'm, th- I'm thinking, I'm comparing this to Gilles Seymour, who, as we speak, is still in it. And he's retiring at the end of the year, but it'll be his last Roland Garros. So you have a little send-off set up. But with Gilles Seymour, every time he wins, they've got to put everyone back in the cupboard. He's coming. It's like a surprise party. Hide. He's not meant to know this is happening. But I think with, with Songa, the expectation was that Rude, who's the eighth seed would come through and then sadly in the end it was a song of body wasn't it it was the shoulder and he had the treatment and there were tears in his eyes and brutal oh it's, I thought Casper Rude spoke beautifully on court about watching him as a young player and how inspirational he was and then former coaches came out his friends came out it was he was given a bit of the clay you know the glass casing with some Roland Garros clay and I thought that was I thought that was a lovely send off yeah it was fantastic wasn't it I mean is there a more charismatic player than Sunga? I mean, he just draws everybody in. He's just had some epic matches over the years and uh, has just been so, so much fun to watch. And always with a smile, his joy for tennis all the way through. I mean, of course, there are going to be frustrations when he's playing, but he's just always had... You could just see that he just loves to be on court. You know, with some other players, they've been trying to extend their careers and struggling with injury, and sometimes I think, why? You clearly torture yourself on the court. You've got your millions. It's, it's just it's so funny to me. But with him, you could just totally understand it. He clearly just adores playing in front of the crowd. He's such a showman. He was born to do it. And, yeah, just been a privilege to have him, isn't it? And the other thing with you guys is that's all you've ever known. And you've done it forever and ever. And he's, what, 37. He still loves it, but it must also be... There are some that know the exact time, and he's got to 37 now it is, but I still, it must be very hard. It's, it's, it's all you've ever known, that discipline, that routine, the travelling, the life, and then from one day to the next, you wake up the next day, you're not a tennis player anymore. I know we talked about this before, but I still think that it's such a big jolt to the system. And one day you've got everyone around you, you've got coaches, what time are we practising, you've got the physio sorting you out, you've got your publicist or whatever you've got, depending where you are, and then you've retired, and the next morning spoke to Tommy Robredo on Five Live the other day. Uh, he seems to be loving it so far, retired in Barcelona. Yes. And I said, how's retirement? And he said, I've been riding horses every day. Uh, I'm with my wife. I've got a new baby. He said, I'm absolutely loving it at the yeah. moment. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it, it's hard when you stop because it, it doesn't matter how you stop. It doesn't matter if your career ends early through injury, whether you choose to stop. Everybody wants to go out on their own terms, which is nice. It's very much a luxury. But yeah. either way, it's a huge part of your life that has come to an end. And it is very difficult to, to look outside of that. So nice to hear that Tommy's doing so well. It's a very smart young man that's just walked past. I mean, he must be... I'm really bad with ages. What are we saying? Four, five, five... Four, yeah, four, five. Four. But he's got a suit on. Yeah, could be a wedding today. He's got it's Saturday. I, yeah, I think I've. Yeah, no, I've seen his parents. I think there's definitely a wedding going on. But I love that little four-year-old in a suit just walked past. So just walk, cute. Just walked past at breakfast. I love that. Very smart. Love that. There he goes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, he's off. He's off to his wedding, being followed by his mum. I was going to ask for your match up to this point so far in the men's, and then I thought, well, we had Alcaraz, Albo, Ramos, Vignoles, and I don't. Do you have another match outside of that? In the men's, has been your match. Oof. Um, a match. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty. That was pretty epic. Four wasn't hours it? thirty-seven minutes. It was pretty epic. I mean, yeah, but but time doesn't equal quality. That's. I mean, it was pretty good, but it, it doesn't. Pretty good. Equal, it doesn't equal quality on the men's side. A match that stood out. I mean, I've sort of been following the Sitzpass drama quite a lot, and he's had to be so resilient. He's not been playing brilliantly well, and has still managed to come through. I, I do fear for his chances a little bit when other people are cruising so much, but he really. He's been impressive in a number of ways, I think. Uh, the Zverev match, when he was down match point yeah. and managed to win, yeah. 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 that was, um, that was pretty, pretty good. So, no, it's been some, uh, some really great matches, I think. That was against Sebastian Baez, wasn't it? Oh, and then we've got, of course, we've got the Uncle Tony dilemma in the next round between Nadal and Ojeel Yassim. Ojeel Yassim lost his first two sets here. He's won the next nine. Yep. I mean, I was watching his first round match and was quite fearful 
of him in his future here, but things look great since then. Yeah, Uncle Tony in the other box. Well, he I th- is he going to be in the other box? I mean, he's definitely not going to give uh, O'Shea many advice about how to beat his nephew. I mean, well, that would no, be... Hang on, why would he... He's being paid by... Fili- now hang I, on a second. Hang on a second. He's being paid. He's a member of staff on the Felix O'Shea team. So it's like Marion Vida. Are you telling me Marion Vida didn't give Alex Malkin any advice about Nova, placing Novak Djokovic? No, I, no, but he's not his uncle, is he? No, he's, but come on, he, he's as good as different. family. No, Marion Vida, no, Novak Djokovic is... No, I'm not having this. It's different. But you take... You, it, he does not sign a contract with Ogilvy Asim saying, I'll do everything for you, but if you face my nephew, I will not help you at all. Look, even if I he know, helps him, I'm not I'm, saying he's going to beat him. I'm sure, I'm sure he will uh, help him, but he won't give him any insight any sort of like any access to knowledge that he has over Nadal look also Ojedo seems already got Freddie Fontaine he has another coach who's going to do all of the analysis yes, but he's got the uncle of the fella that he's facing this is I, I, I didn't realize you were so brutal no but this short, is, but that's the whole point surely if, rough. You, if you hire but how is that rough you want to get the Felix Ojedo seems wants to win he wants to win that match. In his corner, he's got Tony Nadal, who Does he pays. Does Tony Nadal want pays. him to win? Oh, my word. Well, look, Do, if, does he? If, I don't, I don't if know. Tony Nadal doesn't want his charge, who's paying him to win, for me, that's very weird. Maybe deep down in his heart, heart, heart. But come on, is this his business? He's, he's a professional. No, surely, 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 surely. Uh, I, I think I think you're wrong because it's his nephew. He's not going to give any advice. He will allow Freddie Fontang to do all of the analysis and the video analysis of Nadal's last two matches, and he can come up with the strategy. Now, I think Tony will still be very um, helpful towards Ojeleci about his own game and the things that they've been working on. If they've been working on how he delivers his forehand or the decisions that he makes, I think he will still be saying to him in this match, you know, if you're down 15-30, this is the serve that you pick, or you know, work on this this transition moving forward whatever it might be so he's not going to abandon him for the match but he's just not going to give him any any inside information and I don't think Nadal would probably be that bothered if he did because as you say he's probably still going to win but yeah I don't I don't think I don't think he I don't think he will I, I, I wouldn't I, I find it interesting because it, it's times like that when you think well hang on a second now you can really give me this insight because of the guy I'm facing I mean, again Marion Vida no he's not related to Djokovic but come on he's been through everything and more with Novak Djokovic and Alex Malcolm would have said come on Marion what am I going to do to beat this fella and what's Marion Vida going to do well I can't tell you to it's be like honest, divided loyalties to be honest even, I, 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 and, I, and I mean this genuinely Marion Vida probably doesn't know because no one knows how to beat Djokovic there's no tactical insight <laughs> Because all we know is that his one weakness is his smash, which he's going to hit five times in a match. It's not very helpful. Well, then, then Uncle Tony can help Felix because only three people have beaten Rafa Nadal at Roland Garros. No one has beaten him. He's 53-0 and 0 in Well, in, then speak to Robin Sodling and ask him how he did it. Don't he's un- not employing Robin Sodling. He's employing Uncle Tony. Yeah, but no, I mean... so. Do you I, think a- he'll be in the Felix box? Are you saying you don't think he'll be in the box? I'm, I, I don't. I don't know. I think. I don't think there's anything wrong with him being in the Felix box. I really don't. I don't think Nadal would take it personally, and I think that it would be fine. But um, I, I could imagine he might decide not to be. But um, I think just sit in the box is fine. But I think in terms of planning for this tournament, wonderfully planned. So Rafa Nadal, maybe Uncle Tony can go to the Champions League final, well, which is go, yeah. this evening as we're speaking. Well, yeah. I mean, Nadal has made it perfectly clear that he will not be <laughs> playing from very early on in the tournament he just wanted to get out there just so the organizers knew i have my tickets i, I was wondering because i suppose you can request can't you where it sort of i guess it depends well, what level of what level request. of what, what level of player you can <laughs> depends who you are yes what level of player you are you can request because i was just thinking a few players can request but not many else but i was thinking today so our evening match saturday as we speak is holger runa against Hugo Gaston. I don't imagine, even though Gaston's a home player, that if he went to the tournament referee's office and said, I would like to play at this time in this court, they'd just go, OK, Hugo, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for saying yeah. hi. <laughs> thanks for coming. Good luck in your match. But I was thinking the match before, Marin Cilic, massive football fan, 
Gilles Simon, I don't know if Gilles Simon's a football fan, but they could maybe have gone and said, we don't want to play. I don't know, because you can put in requests. I'm just wondering, schedule-wise, how they can sort of... I mean, you really can't. Like, that's the thing, is that... Very, they would very, never have dared. Very few people can put in a request and it be taken seriously. We're talking the, the, the upper echelons, the top, top, top. The top, top, top. Because Nadal says, look, you know, I'm not going to be playing on Saturday night's Champions League final. They are not going to put him on a Saturday. As it happens, his side of the door doesn't play today. But he would... Is that why? Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's... Shall we say it's worked out it's rather not. well? Who is playing today as we speak Saturday... It's Iga Svantec, and I do this daily show for uh, Roland Garros, RG News, and um, every day we do highlights of matches, and I sort of voice and give some stats. I've actually run out of superlatives for Svantec. I'm trying to build a case for her opponents as we're leading into matches, and then when I'm talking over the highlights, the stats are incredible. What she is doing is phenomenal. It is unreal, isn't it? I was thinking this in her last match. Shall, because we've got to do Siontek today, shall we just start making up words? Because I've genuinely run yeah. out of words. But Siontek and Alcaraz, I don't quite know how, all I say is I don't know how to describe this. <laughs> I don't know what to do. It was my job to describe it, but it's, unbelievable. it's just unreal from Siontek. I mean, love and two, or two in our first round, love and two, second round, two bagels. I love the website of Eager's Bakery. I want to visit Eager's Bakery. It feels like a rite of passage. You get absolutely walloped off the court and go, thanks very much, cheers. You've got to embrace the battering that you get from her. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, who, who's going to challenge her? Every time she's been on court, which is only twice so far, but every time she's been on court, we are looking... Every, we're looking through the draw about who can beat her and then we come up with the name Ostapenko then she goes out because we thought peak Ostapenko maybe maybe. Yeah, maybe and then she goes out because she was the last person to beat her and then we went oh well maybe it'll be somebody who's got the movement maybe not a big hitter maybe somebody who's got the movement so then we thought Simona Halleck and then she's gone out and, uh, and then who went out yesterday that we, <laughs> we considered somebody else? Basically anybody that we thought could potentially well, pos- as a ranker. As a, there's no possibly. top 15 player in the bottom half of the draw. It's been yeah. decimated. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, look, she's almost certainly going to win a title. If she, I mean, she could play amazing. at a it's seven. Amazing. But this is This is where we had, you know, we had it with Serena. Uh, we've had it with Nadal and Djokovic. You know, when they both peak together, it's possibly slightly different. And we had it with Federer for a long time. Of that, if they turn up and play seven out of ten, they win the tournament, and that's just it. And I think that Shontek's in that zone at the moment. If she plays seven out of ten against all of the players left in the draw, she wins. She might not completely destroy them, but she wins. Uh, that was another one. Uh, Mukova thought maybe Pete Mukova. And that was just devastating to see her go out in tears with an ankle injury. And it's just such bad luck for her. Please, can we just give her two full seasons back to back? Because she's awesome. I think because we have to clutch at straws and find somebody who could challenge her. Just, my just dark say horse? it here. Are you going to say my dark horse? Well, I can understand that. You, you say your dark horse with Anissimova because I think that... It, I, I agree. She loves the surface. She's a good yep. mover on it. it there's, yeah. She likes a big scalp. She likes a big scalp. Hits big. I quite fancy because it is the other half of the draw, is it? Bottom Not, half. Maybe, is it? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, here. Coco Goff. 18 years old, 18th seed. I think she's in such a good place. Over the next year, two years, I think she's going to really, really motor on now. She's going to be a top tenner. I think she's, she's ready to go. That you're was lo- looking completely no. baffled. No, not baffled, because I believe everything you say. But when you're talking about Coco Goff, are you talking about her as being the person you think closest to challenge you to take this tournament? Or are you saying in, 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 a year to, in a year's time she'll be top ten, which I completely agree with you. I don't, I don't know where you were going there. Was oh, it, right. The, is she your one that could challenge you from this draw, or are you just doing a lovely little moment on Coco Golf? Well, no one can challenge you from this draw. Who's going to get closest? Who's gonna I, get I, think, fu- I think Anissa f- Mova has probably got the game style. I think you're right on that. I think it's a good shout, and it's nice to see her playing well because she, again, is somebody that's due to reach the top ten, find that level consistently. And, uh, yeah, it would be, it'd be nice to, to see her there. We had a great match, didn't we, between Fernandes and Bencic? As I see you just scrolling through the, the draw. That was awesome yesterday. Such a good level. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Enjoyed um, that. But, I mean, come on. Who do you think is going to beat Shontek? Win. Uh, no one. There you go. And, and we even had it. And, it, and it's awful. And, and it's not a disparaging thing. But And, and we've done this with 
Nadal, Djokovic in the past, but when we see a Svantec match, we do a sweepstake within the team, and we do it on air, it's not sort of, is it going to last more than an hour, and how many games will the opponent get? So for Alison Risk, who's a great player, as you say, grass would be the surface she'd have preferred to face Svantec on. I think I went, I went 58 minutes... And three games. Yeah, was I was fairly prediction. generous. I, I was worried about a double bagel when she before she walked on court. And as I say, I'm a massive fan of Ali Risk. Yeah, um, it, it's it's quite rare though because I think people who don't necessarily know her. I mean, she pretty much is a fast court specialist, a grass court specialist. I think she won a title on indoors. I don't know if it was Lintz or something else at back end of last year, but she won an indoor event again it's low back I mean it's just a disaster so for most players we always talk about the ball getting up above shoulder height and it, you, you lose a lot of strength when it's up above shoulder height and you also have to bring the ball down which is difficult to do from the baseline because that means it's going to go into the net or the floor yep. so you have to try and get some lift on it but when it's already up around your ears it's very difficult to do so we always talk about that the kick serve trying to get up above shoulder height and all that sort of stuff but for Ali Risk because of her grip it's actually even lower than that. It's sort of anything above waist height. Anything around shoulder height is quite difficult for her. She has the flattest strikes around. There's zero spin. She missed that lesson. We're going to do top spin today. It's, it's not there. Um, and it, it's just her grip. But I tell you what, on the grass course, oh, it just works beautifully well. It's, it's so, so good. She's got a, a really nice strike. She also doesn't have that much pace on her shot, so she needs a court to help her out a bit, and the grass sort of takes her, her carries her shot through. If she takes it early and takes it down the line, the, the grass does a bit of work. I mean, the court's just working against you if you're hitting a flat yeah. shot here. You need to have that shape and spin and rip on the ball to get the court working with you, which is just the opposite. It was just a nightmare. In, all, in, in every sense of the word, it was just a... We knew it was going to be a little bit painful, that one. She actually did really well. Into the mind of a tennis player, what's the most match points you've had before you finally before I lost? No, before you finally converted. Oh, before I finally won. Oh, that's a yeah. much, much nicer yeah, story. I'm going to come about. in on a negative. Oh, gosh, I can only remember the ones that I lost. Because when you, 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 can, give me a de- so you can give me a defeat as well. This is what we were talking. We had Leon Smith on air the other day, and he said, if you win too much, you just don't analyse your game enough. You, if you win too much too young, you don't necessarily well, you develop it. You way. learn more from defeats than from victories. Yeah, because you've got like a week to dwell on it. <laughs> because if you win a match, you've probably got another one tomorrow. Yeah. Or, yeah. You've, or you've got 24 hours. You're just going to go, okay, you know, you're going to pick out a few bits and pieces you can do better. Okay, great. And then who am I playing next? What's happening? Yeah. I mean, literally, before you, you're told probably from the on court interview the interviewer is probably going to say to you oh you've got this player next what are you going to do and you're already thinking ahead whereas if you've lost well that's it that's well Diego Schwartzman didn't want to know and he was in his press conference do you know who you've got next he said, no I don't want to know and so I went Djokovic and he was like okay thanks brilliant excellent yeah. Next, Great. yeah thanks very but much no, I, I, yeah, I only remember um, having match points and losing and I have had sort of like six and lost because Jessica Pagula had ten in her first round. Yeah. She gets on the tenth. She had eight in the second round. And I was just thinking, the mental fortitude to... to Yes, ultimately you can take the positives. She had 18, but she converted two, so it's a positive. But at the time, in the situation, in that match, when you're seeing match point after match point disappear, I just don't know how you keep your head. Yeah, you just got to keep plugging away, haven't you? You think, oh. you, you think you're there, and you, it's, you're nearly there, and it, it's difficult. I think uh, Karen Hashanov was very, very close, wasn't he? He was 5-1 up in that fourth set against Cam Norrie yesterday, and then here came Cam coming back, got it back to 5-4, but then he managed to serve it out. So... Yeah, I mean, it's an annoying part of tennis when, you're, when you've all but won the match and you're just that one point away and it, it can be really difficult. you just got to hope that it's not close because if you're 6-2, 5-1 up and you take seven match points to convert, it's not really a big deal. But if it's, you know, 5-all in the third or, or deep in the fifth set, then it's a bit, a bit more annoying. Aleksandra Sastovic, I enjoy watching. I enjoy listening to interviews. It's a bit nuts. Emma Raducanu and Angelique Kerber, her two scalps, a word on Raducanu. Does she take positives? Would she be... Of course, you want to keep winning and win the whole thing, but will she take positives from this, this trip to Paris? 
There are many positives. The first set of tennis that she played against Sastovic is the best set of tennis that I've seen her play since the US Open. Okay. And I think I've seen, I mean, I'm going to say 80, 90% of her matches since then. I may have missed. Uh, so I normally, if, if I've missed it, I might catch up on highlights. Yeah. So um, I'm not including those matches, but fully watched her matches, pretty much most of them. Um, I think that's the best set comfortably that I've seen her play. I thought it was incredibly athletic and explosive and energetic. All the things that we saw from her at the US Open, I thought it was brilliant. Um, so in terms of positives, huge positives. I mean, to get her game to that position because we've seen some matches where it's been way, way, way off, where it felt like she can't get any pace on her serve, on her forehand. I know she's been working on the technical aspects to help. It has helped. Whatever she's doing technically and whatever she's looking at in her game, it's working. So that's really good because there have been periods, and actually not that long ago when we were talking about her split from Torben Bells, you know, there have been periods where it hasn't been working. The game hasn't really been developing. Yes, she's been gaining experience. She's been gaining weeks on the tour. She's obviously learning so, so, so much week in, week out. But in terms of the game, we were thinking for a time it was moving backwards and then it just sort of got stuck for a while. Now, big steps forward. So that is huge. One main concern, really, that I think that, that they need to look at is the fatigue because ultimately she played a set of tennis there and was tired. And she did compete as hard as she could, but she clearly was struggling with her legs. And uh, she did an interview with um, the BBC ter- tennis correspondent, Russell Fuller, who I'm working with on Five Up, and so are you sometimes. And, uh, and she said that, well, she's not injury, she hasn't got any injuries. Which is so good. she's very, very happy about that. Um, so she's healthy, but she just did experience just general fatigue in the match, which to me is a, a real concern because she played 45 minutes that opening set and then her legs were very, very heavy and she was having to really, really battle, th- battle through and she couldn't really, she just couldn't do it. She stopped, stopped sinking down on her forehand. So you think the pace of Sasnovich, she's got a lovely clean strike coming through at you. Think about your Kerbers, your Radvanskas, you sink down underneath the ball and Emma's done this beautifully well through her career. She did it every, almost all the time at the US Open she stopped doing that she did it well in the first set and then she started jumping up and off the ball now if you're moving forward to a shorter ball up inside the baseline you can jump off the ground you've got the time to do that and you can throw and you can rotate and throw your body through the back of the ball you can get that elevation and it'll get you some more pace but if you're absorbing pace you need that solid base on the ground because you've got to absorb and then try and deliver you want to get down and then lean into the shot she kept jumping up and off the ball um, and the reason she was in my opinion this is just my sort of analysis of it I think the reason she was doing that was because her legs were tired because it is much more draining to get down underneath the ball than it is to jump off the back um, so I saw quite early signs of fatigue at the beginning of the second set so is I that because that she hasn't been able to do enough training blocks because of the injuries that she's had I don't think that it's a fitness thing okay because she played 45 minutes it wasn't it's not like this is five all in the third is it that match. she needs to do more work on the fitness to build up the stamina to no go. so well Possibly. I don't know. I'm not part of the team. I'm not privy to any inside information. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. Just purely from what I'm seeing on the the tennis court, I would assume that there's something not quite right in the preparation. So either it's under-fueling or not sleeping enough or general stress or or it could be anxiety, it could be pressure, it could be any of these little things. But the legs just died. You know, if if it's conditioning, that's when you get the sort of um, Andrescu pushing her body demanding so much of her body that it breaks down or Andy Murray when he was younger forcing himself to get to the point where he just started cramping all the time you know we weren't seeing yeah, that yeah. we weren't seeing sort of the body at the limits we just saw sort of mental and physical fatigue so um, if I were part of her team I would be questioning every little part every, every teeny tiny, tiny little part but she hasn't even done a full year on tour she's a few weeks away from that and you, it's trial and error You've got to, you think some things work for one player, it doesn't work for another, and you know one person likes to eat a steak before they go and play, and another person can't eat anything, or you know whatever it is. You know you've just got to find what works for you and, and have a better system. So it's no cause to panic. I'm not. It's not really a criticism. It's just more of a where I think that she would go next. But the game, the tennis, is looking really, really strong now. She's just got to be able to deliver it, and it it's not a case of 
oh, well, she just needs to get used to on tour. We saw her deliver it last year. She delivered it on the grass. She delivered it at US Open. She played 10 matches at the US Open. And I know that she had the adrenaline and I know that it was very different. But she can phys- she's physically capable of it. We've, we've seen it. But it's interesting you said it could be linked to stress or pressure. And I'm not trying to second guess what's going on with her. But she is going to come. She's coming up to a ridiculous time of the year in terms of pressure. I even read a, a column yesterday and, and has talked about this with Courtney Nguyen on air. And we talked generally with, with tennis players that if stories and bits and pieces come out so coming into Wimbledon the grass it's not necessarily the it's not going to be the tennis journalists that are writing they'll be writing about the tennis and what's going on it's the other journalists in other areas that will write so it was a columnist yesterday I read about um, Emma Raducanu and they were going on about well she's obviously not succeeding because she's got too many sponsorship commitments and she's at balls and she's modelling watches and cars and things and this was someone who I, I don't know their tennis knowledge but there they write a column and it's little sort of tidbits and bits and pieces and that is the kind of thing that is only going to increase over the next few weeks so I imagine in terms of stress and we talk about Igor Shontek and sports psychologist Daria Abramovitz travels with her full time it's a massive part of what she does but it's it's interesting linking possible stress and I'm just speculating to what you saw on court and, and if that's in the mix at all then Yes, they'd have to get a handle on it sharpish because it's, it's going to skyrocket in the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the cause is. And as I say, I listed a few different options. I just feel like it's more preparation, which is a good thing. It's easy to resolve. You've just got to try yeah, and tweak yeah. things. Like, honestly, this is no sort of, oh, my God, they're doing everything wrong. Of course not. They, you know, no, one, no one knows until, as I say, you remember when Andy Murray was being sick on court because his electrolyte concentrate was too strong. You just get things wrong and you learn from it and you find what works for you. So it's no big deal it's just that I don't think she should be fading like that physically in a, in a match after one set of tennis um, especially because we've seen her go so deep in tournaments yep. and play these back-to-back matches yep. and, and, and be fresh and fine um, but yeah I mean like Eleanor was saying the press that follow her all year round have a an interest in keeping a relationship a positive relationship with Emma they need to it's not that they're only going to write positively about her. We we see they will be, be critical. They, they will yeah. be honest, but they will they they have a relationship with her, so they're not going to be out of order. They're not going to say anything that you know that, that could be taken or that, that they don't think is fair. They're going to be fair. Um, but then here come all the journalists over the grass court season that have absolutely no need to maintain a relationship with Emma Carney because they don't work with her all year. She doesn't, her success or, not her success, but she's not the reason that they're travelling the world and that they're doing their job. You know, our British tennis correspondents, their job is to report on British tennis. Yes, so yes, our, the yes. players are their job. So, um, and the, as you say, these columnists, these journalists that are going to appear out of nowhere some of them will be working on football all year they'll turn up and go right okay what's going on here then and they will they will be opinionated they have absolutely no reason to be um well i would say nice but it's not about being nice it's about being fair i think it, i think it's it's going to be fascinating but as you say plenty of positives for her to take away so if i offered you a change of your picks for winners do you want to well if you decide to move away from Schwantek, I mean, that's you'd just be mad. Um, but so we're going for what are we going for? Schwantek, Anisimova final? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I think so. Coco Goff? Could be Coco. Sloane Stevens? Madison Keys? I'll tell you. Could be, could be Sloane. See, I always wonder about Sloane Stevens because I just don't know which Sloane Stevens will turn up on court yeah. because she can be phenomenal or you can be like, Flat right. as a pancake. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There was someone eating pancakes next to us a short while ago. <laughs> Honestly, No, it was sticking with Fiontech. I am going to stick with Sitspas because I feel like he's my pick. He's still in the tournament. Um, so That's I a should, good starting I point, should have, isn't it? I should have belief. But look, his game can only improve. I worry slightly about the physical side. But at his age, at his stage now, physically, he's strong. I, I don't think he's going to be wiped out. Um, but he needs a couple of quicker matches. Please. I have to say, and talking about fitness, there's um, a really lovely article on the ATP website. They spoke to Carlos Alcaraz's fitness coach after his four-hour 37 minutes against Albert Ramos-Vinos about how do you now recover him and prepare him. And it's a really nice... People should, should read it. It's an insight because it's, it's part of the team of Alcaraz talking through exactly what he did and what he, what he would have done. And, and the key thing I took away from that is don't make changes. 
Don't suddenly change things. You know, stick to the routine that you have. Don't suddenly panic if it's a longer or shorter match. And, you know, the first thing is the bike and then et cetera, et cetera. But he said, you must have your routines. They must be in place. And it, it's a little bit, maybe you're talking about Emma Raducanu and just getting these routines and finding something that works. But that's a really nice piece on the ATP website for people to get like a, Great. a little insight into recovery. So I'm wondering now, so breakfast at, at my hotel was lovely it was delightful we actually got to sit across from each other at one point was it like yesterday i suggested we do it remotely yeah and you were like no that's just silly that's silly we're both because i was going to sit in my hotel room you're going to sit in yours and we would do what we normally do and you were like but we're both here so i set my alarm really early i thought i'm going to get my run in routine i'm back on my routine again there you go you're like a professional tennis player well i would i would would say there are differences i would say there are differences but i thought i'll get out there and just to be honest the running here is to counteract the not baguette but the pastries and the food because the other thing about grand slams is you might eat well if you're carlos alcaraz but as you know if suddenly you've got to run You've got 20 minutes and you're on air. And this could last thing. You've got two minutes. You've got to go here and you've got to come. You just grab what you can find. Yeah. And we get some, wonderfully, we get some money on our accreditation. So we can go to those, like, a staff canteen and a staff shop. And I'm literally like supermarket sweep. I get my little <laughs> basket and I know how much I've got. And I'm sort of sweeping things off the shelves. But they're probably, oh, there's some fruit in there. There's some green things in there. Yeah. There's some quinoa in there. But then there's also the other side. There's the muffins. They've got this wonderful selection of Haribo. There's a bit of chocolate. You think, well, I might need a bit of chocolate. Might need refueling. So while you're stopping at Boulangeries all the way to Roland Garros to pick up all no, your... No, there's only to one. Pick up, there's only one <laughs> to, pick up, to pick up all your croissants. I'm having that supermarket sweep effect. And I probably eat lunch around 4 p.m., which is a little late. And then it all goes wrong. And then I'm like, I'm hungry, I need sugar, I need this. So I'm just trying to balance out the supermarket sweep effect of later in the day by running earlier in the day. Yeah, life at a slam, hey? Yeah, it's, it's amazing <laughs> to be here. A slam with night sessions. But yeah, a slam with night sessions equals you don't always eat very well. No. So that's... That's my excuse for that. But thank you for coming for breakfast. That's great. It's lovely. Uh, I might not see you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see you there. I haven't even seen you in passing. No. I only saw you when we were working together and we were in the same commentary box because we had to be in the same commentary box. I've not seen you in a corridor, no. on a staircase, no. on a court, on a... At all. No. It's been almost a week. Well, it's been se- six days, seven days, isn't it? You've been here seven days. Seven, yeah. Haven't seen you at all. That's so. It. There is a chance that this is goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.